before we start, those of you living in Wisconsin, we have a very important election Tuesday. If you can vote, do so uh, for Supreme Court justice. Um, so tonight, we're going to finish up on repentance and um, chapter 15. So if we were to say, what are the, what are the twin towers of conversion what would you say two things twin towers what are they faith and repentance and that's that's a, a long distance from invite Jesus in your heart and so when you die you go to heaven it's repent and believe sometimes it says repent and be baptized as we saw today but repentance comes before faith. It's like an emptying so that you can receive. And it happens simultaneously. Can we put that up there, David? So chapter 15, paragraph 5. Such is the provision which God has made through Christ in the covenant of grace for the preservation of, of believers unto salvation. That although there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, yet there is no sin so great that it shall bring damnation to them that repent, which makes the constant preaching of repentance necessary. So to review quickly, in paragraph one, we looked at the recipients of repentance, and they talked about those that repent in riper years, that maybe it's a deathbed conversion or maybe somebody who's had a radical, like my, me, I had a radical conversion. But some children that, that grow up in a home where they've, they've been nurtured their whole life with the gospel, uh, your repentance is going to be much different than my repentance was. And so in paragraph two, we looked at the recipients of repentance being all believers and that you need not have a crisis experience as proof of your salvation or conversion. And secondly, we looked at, in paragraph three, the nature of repentance, what it looks like. There's repentance with a capital R, okay? Capital R is when you repent and you're brought into faith in Christ. It's, it's conversion experience. And then we repent often. We grow. We're always repenting. We're always turning. We're always confessing our sins. We're always having our mind changed. We're growing in grace. That's the continuance of repentance. It was in paragraph four. And then tonight we're going to talk about vision of repentance, paragraph five. All repentance. Hey, repentance, the, the Lutherans get this wrong. Repentance is not law and the gospel or grace or believing faith is grace. Repentance is grace. Repentance is the gospel. Repentance is a gift of God. God gives us the gift of repentance that we can see. Our sin, we can see our need for Savior. We can see our need for mercy. It's the gift of God. It's the kindness of God. 
It's the goodness of God that leads men to what? To what? Repentance. The goodness of God. Did, did Mr. Law, I, I missed a couple of times as we taught through chapter 5. Did he, te- did he give you the picture of, of the tree of repentance at all? That, I think it was Al Martin that, that did the tree. He, and he shows this picture of a tree. And you see the roots. Imagine this. I would draw it. If, I'm not a very good artist. I can't sing and I can't draw. Okay. But uh, imagine a, a tree and there's roots going down to the ground. And you have things that are underneath the soil. Now, the roots are down in the ground. And there's, there's three aspects of that tree if we, if we think about repentance. The first is that we, we have a true sense of our sin of our neediness. Sin becomes utterly sinful. The second thing is we, we see, we apprehend the mercy of God. Oftentimes we see our need for, for, for repentance. We see our sin as being utterly sinful. At the same time, we see our need for the mercy of God that's being offered to us. And then we see those roots are in good soil. And good soil is a regenerate heart. A heart that's been changed from a heart of stone. Think about Mr. Pierce when he's out plowing the fields, right? And, and um, if, if there's a plow pan, because there's compaction and it's built up, and that, that plow pan underneath the soil can be like concrete, and nothing can get through it, nothing can go down, nothing can come up. And you've got to take a great big chisel tooth plow, and you've got to go through that plow pan and break it up. Well, our hearts are like that. And our hearts need to be made hearts of flesh. That's the promise of the new covenant. That God will take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh so that we can believe. That's below the ground. So these roots of repentance are in good ground in a regenerate heart. But what's above ground? Here's what we see on the outside. We see a turning from sin. We see a turning to God. And we see fruits of our repentance. We imagine lots of apples on the tree. There's good fruit in our life. It's a, re, it's, it's a response to what's happened in, underneath the soil, underneath the ground. Well, let's look at this confession tonight. Chapter, or paragraph 5. Such is the provision which God has made through Christ in the covenant of grace for the preservation of believers unto salvation. So here's what we're going to say. Provision for this repentance has been made by Christ. Isaiah 1.16. Here are our proof texts. Isaiah says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow, come now, let us reason together. Perhaps you've heard this verse, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they are red like crimson. They shall be as wool. That's what the blood of Christ does. He takes your sin that's red like scarlet and he colors it white. All of your sin-stained garments became robes, become robes of righteousness, white, shining white. Again in Isaiah 55. Let the wicked forsake his way 
and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And here's the provision. The Lord says he will have mercy on him. And our God, for he will abundantly pardon. It's not a little bit of pardon. It's not a little bit of grace. And it's an abundance of grace. It's an abundance of pardon. All your sins, all my sins. And one of my favorite verses, and I love to pray this from, from Psalm 130. Often in confession, Psalm 130, verse 3, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If the Lord would mark your iniquities and my iniquities, who could stand? Could any of you? I couldn't. God has made a way for us. And it's through Christ. I thought about tonight, you know what? We could just read the whole book of Romans and we would understand God's provision for our sin. In Romans 3, 2, Paul says this, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law. By the way, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this is his favorite verse. Of course, he says that about every verse in Romans. But, you know, Paul has just got done laying the case out that there's none righteous. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. There's, there's none righteous. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. You know what an open sepulcher is? It's like when there's a dead body in a tomb, and it's just that smell. You, pu- you pull away the rock. And that smell just comes out. He says, your throat is like an open sepulcher. That's what comes out of you. Stench, sin, grossness. He says, your your righteousness is like filthy rags. But then he comes to this most beautiful verse. And we see this word, but. But now. The righteousness of God apart from the law, because you can't keep it and neither can I. And it wasn't meant to bring you and I to salvation. It wasn't meant to save us. It was only meant to show us our sin and our need for a Savior. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. Here's the provision for our repentance. It's Christ. For there is no difference for all have sinned, all fall short of the glory, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Do you recall the the exodus out of Egypt? Do you recall the, the first Passover when they were to slay the lamb and they were to take the hyssop and they were to dip it in blood and then they were to paint the, the doorposts and the lintel never on the floor. The blood of Christ never to be trampled on. But on the, the doorposts and on the lintel. What did the children of Israel do to earn that? Did they keep the law of God? It hadn't been given yet. What did they do? They believed. 
They trusted God. They obeyed, but they trusted God. And God passed over, and he spared them. And he delivered them. God makes provision for our repentance. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he said, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. A double imputation. Who can explain that? What was the first part of the imputation? I know it's Sunday night. I'm not supposed to think on a Sunday night. Yes, you are. What's the first part of the imputation? I'll help you. Was was imputed on Christ. Okay? What's the reverse of that now? Amen. Christ's righteousness was imputed upon us. Double imputation. I think that's a pretty good trade if you're on our end of the deal, don't you? God made provision. All right, we're going to go to really studying now. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Because I'm just, I can't, you can't preach on this. All you can do is read it and just marvel at what God has done. And if I can encourage you, if you want to really understand the provision, this provision that was made for you, go home and read tonight Romans chapter 5 through through chapter 7. You could even begin in Romans 3 and read 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. But in Romans 5, if we begin in verse 6, here's the provision that God made for you and for me. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The godly for the ungodly. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We shall be saved from wrath through him. How come? Anybody want to take a poke at that? How come? We're saved from wrath through him. What was poured out on Christ in Calvary, in the garden? What was poured out upon him? The wrath of God. How come? He became sin. God was satisfied. Propitiation. He was satisfied. The wrath of God satisfied because he poured out his wrath upon his son. And you and I, if we're in Christ, 
that wrath that you and I deserve was poured out upon our Savior. As a substitutionary atonement, he took it in your place. How many of you have been to the ark? A bunch of you, right? Jesus Christ is our ark. It's a picture. That's a type of Noah going into the ark. The wrath of God being poured out upon sin, upon the world. The whole world was destroyed except for Noah and his family. They were in the ark. That's a picture of you and I in Christ. When we're converted, we are placed in Christ. And Christ is placed in us. And the wrath of God as a Christian, Christ already took the wrath of God for you. Provision has been made for our repentance. Stay with me. 12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. In other words, before the law was given, before Moses, see the law came with Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who is to come. See, even if we didn't do the same sin that Adam did, because we were in Adam's loins, we participated in original sin. He says, but the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. Here's what I want you to see. For by one man's offense, death reigned through one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. This is original sin. Resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, all were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, many became righteous. Provision. Conversion. And then you see, if we continue in Romans 6, Paul anticipates their question, what then? Should we keep on sinning that grace might increase? Paul says, God forbid, no way. Don't you understand that you've been, if you've been baptized with Christ, you've been buried with him, and now you're going to walk in newness of life, and sin no longer has dominion over you. It, you. You may sin, you may trip up, you may stumble, and we do, and you will, but sin in the life of a believer it no longer has a hold on you. You're not helpless against it. Unbelievers can't help it. Sinners do what sinners do. They sin. But as Christians, now sin's power has been broken in us through our repentance and through our faith. Let's look at the next line here. We'll start wrapping up. He says that although there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, 
Yet there is no sin so great that it shall bring damnation to them that repent. See, we know that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we keep on living a life of repentance. And there's no sin that is so great that it can't be forgiven by God. And no sin so little that we shouldn't repent of it. You know, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And, and listen, there's, there's a ditch on both sides of the road here. One is, you know, we play games with God and we deceive ourselves and say, oh, it's just a little white lie. It's no big deal. No, it's a lie. You need to confess your sin. You need to repent of it. You need to turn from it. But on the other side, there's, there's nothing that you've done that is beyond the grace of God other than lying to the Holy Spirit. was a rabbi, he was a, he was a believer, but he was a rabbi first, Rabbi Duncan. He taught Hebrew in Edinburgh, and he was also an elder in a local church. And the elders were serving communion, encouraging the saints to confess their sins. And he saw an older, an elderly woman sitting there, weeping, 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 broken, weeping. And they went to, to serve her the elements of communion, and she refused them. She wouldn't take them. Now, there's a place where you and I should not take communion. If we have unconfessed sin, listen, there's consequences to our sin if we don't confess it. Okay? Paul said if we take communion un, unworthily, that many are sick, there's a chastening. Some have even fallen asleep, meaning they died prematurely because of unconfessed sin. That's pretty severe. But this woman wouldn't take communion. That old elder saw her. And he went to her. And he said, Take it. Take it. Take it. Christ died for sinners. He did. That's what Paul can say. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Because the veil's been rent. You don't have to wait till you get yourself all cleaned up. Come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy. And we have to be careful because we can become overly perfectionistic, overly legalistic. There's a ditch on both sides. One is I never measure up. There's no joy in that as a Christian. The other side is I'm so loosey-goosey that God doesn't care or see anything. That's not true. There's a, there's a divine tension there. Sometimes God brings chastisement. When we moved down here to, to help plant this church, we had a home in Stevens Point. Some of you have heard the story, but you know, I had gone to my elders and, you know, they had given us the go-ahead to move down here. And, but I had made a, a commitment to God, a vow almost, to say that we weren't going to move. We were going to come down and spend every weekend down here, but we weren't going to move down here until God sold our house. We wanted that as a confirmation. Well, things got going and we knew that we were supposed to be here and, and I kind of forgot about that and I, I'd, 
had gone to Pastor Ray, and he said, oh, just if, as long as it's, it's not a burden on you to, to keep uh, another house, just do it. It's probably just the enemy that's hindering you. Well, so we're down here, and that house was on the market for like three years. We didn't even have a showing. And I was preparing a sermon one Sunday morning about obedience, and the Lord reminded me of that promise I made about not moving down here. And I, that morning, I, I mean, I, I was like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I forgot. And I got up that morning, probably Joel remembers it, some of the others, and I confessed that sin that I had disobeyed God and I had not kept my word. And you know, the next morning, now this doesn't happen, on this, but the next morning we had an offer on that house. And we sold it. Um, it doesn't always work out that way. But it did that time. And then, lastly, well, let me, let me show you a picture of repentance, too. See, we can grieve God. We can, it can, you know, all of our sin was paid for. We have to understand that. All of it was nailed to the cross. But we can experience chastisement. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can uh, break fellowship with God. So repentance, a life of repentance is necessary. Think about Acts 2.36, and, I, and I, I read this this morning. As Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, and in verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. See, they, were, they saw their sin. They saw it. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And see, here's the second part of repentance. They were looking for the mercy of God. What do we do? And by the way, you know, the Puritans was Wesley and, and, and others that came after them as well and uh, Whitfield. They would let the sinner and they preach, they let the sinners stew in their guilt under the law, under the weight of the law of God before offering them. See what we do is we 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 give them the cure before they recognize they have a disease. And we wonder why they won't take the medicine. They don't realize they're sick. And we need to use the law of God to show sinners that they're sick. They're deathly ill, in fact. Then they'll take the medicine. And then lastly, the last part here, which makes the constant preaching of repentance necessary. See, saints continually being exposed to preaching, it keeps us from drifting. It keeps us from repenting. It keeps us from growing in grace. Being constantly brought back to the word of God, to the law of God. Remember again, the law can't save you. It can only show you your need for a savior. It's the schoolmaster. It's there to bring us to Christ. In fact, it stirs up in us what? 
flesh. That's what Paul said. I hope that helps. That's repentance. It's one of the twin towers of conversion. Faith and repentance. They go hand in hand. It's a change in mind. Metanoia, it's a changing of how we think about God and how we think about ourselves, and it always results in action, a change of direction. That's true repentance. It's the grace of God. God made provision for your repentance and mine. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. Well, what do we need to pray for tonight?